Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ben. Welcome to Four Corners Church. I'm so glad that you are here. We're finishing up a message series on 21 days of prayer. I extended it by one week to bring you uh, this message today. Um, and I wonder if, when was the last time you thought about what it is that motivates you to pray? Um, when I uh, think about what motivates me to pray, I often think about my children. Um, they're near and dear to my heart. Uh, two of them are in college. One is uh, out of college and one is still in high school. And when I think about my kids and the world and where they are, a lot of times when I think about them, I'm motivated to pray. Um, this week I was sitting doing my devotions and in the middle of that, I felt like the Lord just impressed something in my heart. And so I spent some time praying for that. On Tuesdays, I get all the prayer requests that came in on Sunday and um, th that motivates me to pray. This morning I was motivated to pray because today is my wife's birthday. Yes, it is. She's sitting right over there. <clears throat> yeah, uh, honestly, love of my life. Uh, I feel like every day in some ways is Christmas. Um, I love you, honey. You're phenomenal. But let me tell you why I prayed this morning. Because on her birthday, I get a text. I come to church earlier than her. And she says, do you have my keys? And I said, yes, I do. Which means she had no way to get to church. So I had to send somebody from church to go get her on her birthday. Because I walked out with her keys in my pocket. And then I asked everybody in first service to please stand by me between services so that they could be like bodyguards between me and, and my wife. So I'm so sorry. We will make it up to you. I promise. John Ryan and I, we will make it up to you. But what, what, what motivates you to pray? And then what motivates you? What, what pulls away at your motivation? What, what pulls you away from prayer? That's what we're going to talk about today is why is it sometimes God doesn't answer prayer? And uh, the truth is, if I can be totally candid with you, I don't ultimately know about your particular situation and why God's doing what he's doing. I know some of it. I don't know it all. So I know that God is always good and only works good for us. And his design and his purpose is always right. And there's wisdom there. And he has perspective I don't have. So I accept that is true. But mechanically, did you know this? That the Bible actually gives us some insight into why it is that God doesn't move and answer prayers the way that we sometimes would like him to do so. So the challenge is today, we're going to look at six reasons. It's not an exhaustive list. And I don't know which one of these or combination of these applies to your situation. So there's a lot of room here. But by the time we get done, I want to give you some insight into the mind and the thinking of God. I didn't make this up. I pull it straight from the pages of Scripture and uh, from some experience as well, but primarily Scripture today, a little bit of pastoral insight in there as well. And my hope is, is that you would have a better understanding of how mechanically your Heavenly Father loves His children. The whole point of this whole series has been to get you to find some time to pray. We've used three key phrases. We've talked about how Jesus got up early in the morning and he went off in a place to pray. His disciples saw them, him do this regularly. So much impacted by his prayers were they that one day they asked Jesus to pray. In fact, the question, Jesus teaches to pray, comes right after the Bible says this in chapter 11, verse 1 of Luke. The Bible says that Jesus got up and he went to a solitary place to pray. And the disciples watched him and said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? So we've been talking about a certain place to pray. I've asked you to find three to five minutes a day, 300 times this year. So you can do more. And we had 366 days this year because it's leap year. Three to five minutes a day to find a certain place to pray. That is a place that you've identified. It's like an appointment you set with God. So it's in the morning before you, um, you know, 
get done with your bathroom routine and you've brushed your hair and you've brushed your teeth and maybe you spent a few minutes uh, there with God. It's maybe as soon as you put the kids down for bed before you go to Facebook, you spend three to five minutes talking to God in prayer by some of the ways we've talked to over the week. Maybe when you get to work, before you open your email, before you check anything, before you look at your voicemails, you talk to God for three minutes, of course, before the clock begins that you're getting paid for, that kind of thing, because you want to be good employees. I don't know where it is, but it's a certain place, it's a certain time, and then you have some operational plan, a certain plan, three to five minutes a day. But the truth is that sometimes people don't talk to God because they tried it, and they had a certain understanding of what would happen, an expectation, and it wasn't met. So we're going to mechanically walk through six reasons today why that might be. One or more of them may apply, but maybe they don't, because I don't have an exhaustive list, but in my years of pastoring, these are some of the reasons why. So would you grab out your message notes? Those are the things that Pastor Josh referred to earlier when he was giving us our welcome this morning. Inside of them is the stuff for small groups, so if you disconnect from what I'm talking about today, um, you can uh, pick out which small group you want to be in. Um, as you're getting there, you can go in your Bible. We're going to look at several passages today, so you can open your Bible. Most of the passages are in your message notes. But I want to give you one final reason why I've been motivated to pray. And my daughter, who is out of college, has moved to Brooklyn. And I don't know if you know anything about Brooklyn, but for a guy that raised his daughter in the suburbs to have his daughter move into Brooklyn, and it was a little bit of a stretch for me, I'm not going to lie, because Brooklyn has a certain reputation, right? I'm reminded of the story that is not theologically correct at all, but a group of men died at the same time, and they end up in front of St. Peter at the pearly gates. So as you can tell, this is not a theologically precise story. They ended up at the gates with St. Peter, and um, St. Peter greets them and says, hello. And they say to him, how you doing? All right? And he goes, I'm fine. What can I do for you? They're like, we would like to all go through the gates and make it into heaven. And St. Peter says, well, tell me a little bit about you. Where are you from? And they said, we're from Brooklyn. All of us died at the same time. We want in. And he said, Brooklyn? We've never had anybody from Brooklyn here before. I'm going to have to check with my boss on this. So Peter goes to the Lord and says, we have a group of men from Brooklyn. They all died at the same time. They all want into heaven. And the Lord says, well, that could be interesting, you know, get a little bit of different socioeconomic and movements here with people, and uh, maybe have them be like, all right, sure, tell them they can come in. So Peter runs back to the gates, ready to tell the guys they can come in. But in just a few minutes, he makes it back to the Lord, and he's out of breath, and he's like, Lord, they're gone. And the Lord says, they're all gone, all group of He says, no, 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 the gates, they took the gates. <laughs> so my daughter moves to Brooklyn, and that makes me want to pray, Right? So what motivates you to pray? And what pulls your heart away from prayer? Here's one reason why sometimes the Lord doesn't answer our prayers the way we want to. And I hate to start negative, but this is important and it doesn't get talked about. We don't have to talk about it every week, but on occasion we have to talk about this. Here's why. Number one, maybe, maybe the reason the Lord's not answering the prayers the way you'd like them to is because maybe you're not right with the Lord. Maybe you're not right with God. Now, this flies in the face of what I would call casual Christianity. Casual Christianity or casual spirituality paints Jesus incorrectly. They paint him as a guy, and everything I'm going to say in just a minute is true, it's just incomplete. They paint Jesus as a guy who had a lot of great moral teaching on how to do relationships and what to do with violence, turn the other cheek and stuff like that, and how to treat people, and everybody should be more kind. And casual Christianity or casual spirituality makes... The point of that spirituality is we all just be a little kinder 
Now, the truth is we should all be a little kinder. But that portrayal of Jesus is not a complete and accurate portrayal of the Jesus in the New Testament. The Jesus in the New Testament had a certain quality about his conversations. There's a certain exclusivity to Christianity. It's not very popular to talk about. But the truth is is that the claims of Jesus are exclusive to Jesus. A few years ago, I was at a table with me and a guy that had a big impact on my life and a couple of other guys that, uh, whose lives were impacted by this, uh, this other guy as well. And we were just talking about faith and stuff and how we all had a common experience in the past. But over the years, we've all kind of gone our different ways. And we're also grateful for this guy's impact. But as the conversation got below the surface, it was clear that not all of us at the table were being completely faithful to the traditions and the teaching that we had been trained to be in. And one of the guys said, you know, over the years, I've learned that it really, when you think about spirituality, this is really the way it rolls. Heaven or a relationship with God is like the pinnacle of a mountain. Maybe you've heard something like this. And it doesn't really matter which path you take. As long as you go up the mountain, you all get to the same place. So you believe it this way. They believe it this way. I believe it this way, impacted by my experience and my training. And this, to me, seems, he says, the most just and reasonable approach to God and the way to understand how spirituality works. And I still believe in all the Jesus stuff, you know, like be kind to your neighbor and turn the other cheek and all stuff. But this whole idea that Christianity is the right way, I've learned, he says, I've grown beyond the fact that that's true and I'm beginning to understand the value of all these other things. So we had a very polite conversation, but the truth is, is that approach to Jesus, spirituality and Christianity is fundamentally inaccurate when you compare it to the words of Jesus. So you don't have to believe me on this. These exclusive words I'm about to read from Jesus in John, the gospel, chapter 14. This is just one. I could have pulled about 22. Last, you know, just quick survey. John 14, 6 says this. Now this is Jesus talking. So if you have a red letter edition where the words of Jesus are in red, these are in red, right? Jesus said to this man, that he was talking to. Look at these words. See how exclusive they sound. I am the way, the way. The definitive article in English is the word the in Greek. It has a different set of letters, but it means this is the specific way. So Jesus doesn't say I'm a way. I'm the way. I'm the definitive article truth. I am the definitive article life, which is particular enough. But then he says these words, which are unavoidable in their implication. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus' response to the multiple pathways up the mountain to God is, that's not true. The only way to the Father, the only way to heaven, is through Jesus Christ. This is, for a couple of thousand years, what Christianity has always believed. Always. Orthodox Christianity, middle-of-the-road Christianity, this is it. And the truth is, is when we get fuzzy on the exclusive nature of Jesus and how it is we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father only through Him, not our good works, not our sincerity, not what we were taught, not by just being kind, but only through Jesus, this sounds incredibly exclusive. And it is. But it is also invitational. It is both exclusive and invitational. 
Because implicit in these words is the motivation of Jesus to say to people who don't have a relationship with their heavenly father through him, hey, I'm the way, so get a relationship with me and you have access to the father. Get a relationship with me, you're bound for heaven. Now, the reason this relates to prayer is this, is that nowhere in the scripture did Jesus ever say that our heavenly father would listen with a sensitive ear to the prayers of people who are not in a relationship with their heavenly father. Again, nobody likes to talk about this, it seems, but this is fundamental true Christianity. Here's the way this plays out. This is the basic beginnings of the gospel. You and I have distance between us and our heavenly father. It's there because of sin. It's there in the world. It's there because of sin of our own choices. It's there by our sin nature. And God, who wanted a relationship with us, sent his one and only son, Jesus, to bridge the gap. So Jesus stands between heaven and earth on the cross. He gets resurrected from an empty tomb. And when we trust that work that he did, we can have a relationship with our, that's the language, heavenly father. And when that happens, we become his sons and daughters. Now we have a relationship. You can use a lot of different words to describe this. Bring Jesus into your heart. It's fine. It's not theologically accurate. Jesus doesn't reside in your heart, but it's an invitation to let Jesus impact the deepest parts of who you are. So in that sense, it's true. The biblical language is you become born again. So you were dead in your sins. You had had a physical birth. Now you're brought alive spiritually by the work of Jesus applied to your life. When that happens, you become sons and daughters of our heavenly father. You also become sons and daughters of the king because our heavenly father is also the king. You are adopted into his family. You're given a royal identity. It's pretty special. And when that happens, the Bible says that the Lord loves to hear the prayers of his children. Now, on occasion, because God's gracious and good, he hears the prayers of people who aren't his children. But the overwhelming sweep of scripture gives us the sense that God's ear is uniquely tuned to his children. He hears them when they call out. Before we pray, he even knows what we're thinking, and he loves for us to boldly ask him. These are things we've talked about the last few weeks, but at the core of this is a relationship with Jesus that provides you access to the Father. Without that, prayer is hollow because prayer is really not just a petition to a man up there with power. Prayer is a conversation with our heavenly father whose heart is for us, who has the wisdom and experience to see the long range plan for us. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem, who is still alive, and it's always dangerous to quote people who are alive because they can still mess up and then you're embarrassed that you quote them, which is, of course, better than naming a building after them. And when they mess up, you got to go with the chill and chip their name out. But here we go. Wayne Grudem. Here's what he says. God has nowhere promised to respond to the prayers of unbelievers. The only prayers that he has promised to hear in the sense of listening with a sympathetic ear and undertaking to answer when they are made according to his will are the prayers of Christians offered through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. In the rest of our time today, I'm going to give you several other passages that speak to other matters, but they're going to underscore this point, that the only pathway to the mountaintop is through the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that, your heavenly Father of the world may hear you and respond, but his ear is uniquely tuned to the call and the heart cry of his children. 
And prayer then is not simply a request we make. It's a conversation we have with the one who cares for us, who knows us, who designed us, and who made an exclusive claim, but opened the door so that we could have access. So it is both exclusive and invitational. Listen to some of the words of Scripture. Let me take you to the most oft-quoted passages of all time. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, so that is universal, the world, that he gave his one and only son, that's exclusive, that whoever would believe in him, that's universal, might have eternal life. And God did not send his son, the next verse, into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. So while he makes an exclusive claim, I am the only way to the Father, that's Jesus' own words. That's not Ben's theology, that's Jesus. Anybody who doesn't want to accept those be the words of Jesus are now picking and choosing which of the red letters they want to live by. While Jesus says, I'm the only way to the Father, the Bible also makes it clear that there is an invitation in that exclusivity that says, God wants a relationship with you. And if you're feeling the tug on your heart, that's not Ben's motivation. That's the Holy Spirit calling. And every person the Holy Spirit calls can respond because God applies grace to them and gives them the ability to respond in faith. So it is both exclusive and invitational. But this is the foundation of the power of prayer. It's a relationship. It's not some transactional thing like sometimes you see in the movies. Hey, God, are you up there? I know I don't come to you very often, but if you'll just grant me this one request, it reminds me of a cowboy movie. If you'll just, you know, they're standing by the fence looking out over the fields. If you'll just grant me this one request, I promise you I'll, and then they fill in the blank with some grand promise. And so there's a transaction, and if they do it right, if they say it just the right way, God pops. Now, it might make for some good movie feels. It's horrible theology. It's horrible. Heavenly Father's ear is turned towards his children. So it begs the question, doesn't it? Are you his child? Do you have a relationship with him? Has the gap between you and your heavenly father been spanned? Has, has the bridge between you and your heavenly father, whose name is Jesus, has that been walked across? Because without that, because God is gracious, on occasion he'll answer your prayers. But the Bible never promises that. In fact, just the opposite. His ear is uniquely tuned to his children. Number two, sometimes... God doesn't answer prayers because something in you needs to change. Something in you needs to change. Look at how James, the brother of Jesus, writes in his letter. I've often said this, but I'll repeat it again. To me, one of the proofs for the validity of Scripture and the unique claims that Jesus was the one and only Son of God, the only way to the Father is, is that his own brother, James, who didn't believe when Jesus was starting his ministry... At one point in the Gospels, Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters, we don't know all their names, they're outside the group, and they're actually embarrassed by Jesus. Now, that actually happened in the Bible. I know we don't talk about it a lot. They're like, he's talking like a crazy man. They're embarrassed by Jesus, but at some point, we think after the resurrection, James, the guy that grew up with Jesus, thinks about his brother and says, ah, he's the son of God, and he gives his life to ministry in the gospel. And he writes a letter, book of James, very practical, you can read it. Look at what he says. He says this in chapter four, verse two, you do not have because you do not ask God. And then he says, you do not have, next sentence, because when you ask, 
you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. What are the motives? That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. There's a self-orientation sometimes in our prayers that runs counter to what God wants to do. And so that rather than working on our behalf to alleviate a problem or to bring us the blessing we're praying for, what God's really wanting to do is to use that pressure we're feeling to change us. I'm talking about his children here. God actually sometimes delays in working through us so that he can, in fact, get our attention in unique and special ways and cause us to attend to the deep, sometimes, matters of the heart that we would not attend to if it weren't for the thing causing us to pray. So last week I talked to you about the story of Moses on the mountain talking to God. He was up there for a while. He was gone just long enough for the children of Israel down below to basically come to this conclusion. It's been a few days since we've seen any activity. God has clearly forgotten us. Moses is probably dead. Let's make a golden calf and worship that thing anyway. So all that's going on, God begins to say to Moses, Moses, these people you brought up out of Egypt, your people that you brought up out of Egypt. And God says, wait, 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 God. They're actually your people. You brought them up out of Egypt. Let me tell you something that was going on in that exchange. God was showing Moses exactly what it is to feel like Jesus must have felt. When Jesus stood between a group of sinful people, you and me, and a heavenly father who is perfect and holy and said, basically, God, you created them. They're yours. And God says, yeah, but I sent you to do the work. So Jesus gladly, with willful intention, hangs on a cross in our place. So Moses is there kind of pleading with God, and God is reminding Moses, yes, we need to do something about that. But Moses, do you get the fact that you, you personally need to think about how you think about the children of Israel? Moses has an opportunity to double down on his heart for these people. And so they're talking about the stuff going on, but God zeroes in on Moses in the middle of it. And I want to tell you that's exactly sometimes what's going on when there's a delay in the answer to your prayers. You're laser focused on the thing that's causing the pressure or the issue or the opportunity you're trying to seize, and God's laser focused on some work in you. And what's the goal of that work in you? It's the goal to make you more like Christ. If you're in a relationship with your Heavenly Father because of the work of Jesus, the goal for every one of us, I don't know the details, but the goal for every one of us is that God is molding and shaping us to be more like Christ. That work has began the moment you became a follower of Jesus. It will not be completed ultimately until you and I get to heaven. But between now and then, he's taking off the edges. He's putting you in the tumbler, so to speak, like you put rough stones. And there's an aggregate in there that's turning with these stones. And in a few hours, in a few days, those stones are going to come out polished and beautiful. This is what God does. This is how he redeems all things, even the ugly things in our life, to bring out in us the best that he has for us. So the truth is, is the first goal in prayer ultimately is how God is using life here to purify you and me and make us more like Christ. Sometimes in the middle of my stuff, I forget this. And I'm so focused, and then I get frustrated when God doesn't respond the way I think that he should. It's intuitively obvious to me that if God had my wisdom, he would certainly answer the, pray, the, the prayer the way I'm praying it. Do you see the problem there? God doesn't have my wisdom. Thank God he doesn't. 
The Bible says that God can see the beginning and the end. Often we only see the middle that we're in. So sometimes the reason God delays or says no or it doesn't turn out the way that you and I want is because he actually wants to change us. Let me give you another one, number three. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered the way we want because our prayers, your prayers, my prayers, do not align with God's will. They do not align with God's will. God's will is an interesting discussion. Look at how it is addressed in John chapter 5 there in your message notes. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have the request that we ask of him. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because our prayers don't line up with his will. And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. It simply means that sometimes we get it wrong. This used to really trip me up. I've told you how in the past I used to spend a lot of time in a previous ministry assignment visiting hospitals, praying with sick people. And of course, every time I was with the family and I would say, how are you talking to God? What are you asking God to do in this situation? The answer was almost universally the same. We want that person to get better. And I was glad for that. I was glad for that. But then I would struggle after person after person died over the couple years that I did this. God, I'm praying, what's happening? And then I had a chance to think more deeply about what's going on there. So for a while before I did that, I started backing off my prayers. I wouldn't even ask God really to heal if it was a serious deal. Because if I asked God to heal and he didn't, I felt some personal disappointment. Not fair. I'm just giving you a little slice into my psyche there. But I found myself being less bold and less eager to pray. And I kind of just did it because that's what you do. And I found myself spending more time praying for the family in the room who were listening to me pray than the person there that I was praying for. And what I was wrestling with is, God, I'm not sure what's going on here. And I'm discomforted by the fact that you don't seem to always show up when I pray. I don't want to embarrass you, Lord, and I don't want to be embarrassed either. And I had to learn that sometimes my prayers didn't align with the word of God and the will of God. So sometimes, again, God doesn't answer our prayers because our prayers don't line up with his will. So here's what I learned over time. That God loves me so much and he's so wise and so powerful, which is awesome. That's why I can pray to him and ask him for things. But he's also so good that like with my own children sometimes who feel bold to make whatever request they want to make of me, I should feel bold to make whatever request I want to make from my heavenly father as best as it seems right to me and complete to me at the time. That's my job is to boldly ask. And then when I do that, I have to have confidence that my Heavenly Father is only going to answer the prayers the way that he knows they need to be answered according to the will that he has for that person, for me, and for the world. Sometimes I know that will, sometimes I don't. Like, for instance, if I ask God to bring a person to himself, I know that the Scripture asks me to pray that way. The scripture asks me to intercede for people that they might have a relationship with God. So I can always boldly pray that prayer, but not every time does it happen. It's God's will, but it doesn't always happen. It's his will for me to pray that way, but it doesn't always occur. So what am I supposed to do? Not pray? No. I pray boldly. 
and I leave room for God to do what is not only what I think should happen, but what he knows is best to happen. The good news here is, is that while we don't always know the will of God in a particular situation, we do have the ability to trust that he is good and powerful to show up in every situation. And that what he's working towards is ultimately better than anything we can ask. So if we're in alignment, we pray boldly. And if we're in misalignment because we don't know, we pray boldly, knowing that he's only going to do what is right and good and proper and towards his purposes anyway. So I pray boldly with the confidence that God's going to do what he wants to do. And when he doesn't do it, it's not a commentary on me or the Lord. It's actually an opportunity for me to think deeply about whether or not I trust him fully. Not just trust his power, but do I trust his innate goodness towards me and the people I'm praying about? When I start to wrestle with the goodness of God, my prayer life suffers. When I start to wrestle with the goodness of God, my trust falters. But when I believe at the core that God is a good father who I'm in a relationship with and I can boldly ask him for ice cream just before dinner, but he's probably not going to give me ice cream right before dinner. Now, aren't, aren't you glad that every once in a while a country song gets it right? You know this country song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers? So it's my wife's birthday. She's here. First service, I go to tell the story. I turn, she's not here because I have her keys. And uh, it's a very bad day on her birthday. But before Jill and I got married, thank God we got married. 30 years in December, it's incredible. But I dated a couple other girls. Not pretty certain, a couple of them, they were the one. So I prayed that God would open their eyes. Then I'll be honest, there was a season in my life when I didn't even know a girl's name. I just saw her and I was pretty certain that was gonna be my wife. You think I'm kidding and I'm not. I was just, typic, typic, here's the, they typically were strikingly beautiful. That's about as deep as I went there when I was about 16. And I would pray, God, I want that one. He didn't answer my prayer. Now, because he's not good? No, because he's infinitely good and he knew exactly what I needed and he could see the end and the beginning and everything in between. I could only see the middle. And in the middle, she looked awesome. And God knew he had that one right there for me. And so I got awesome looking, awesome brain, great mother. I mean, just so many, but I didn't even know how to, so I just prayed boldly. God didn't answer my prayers, but he was answering my prayers all along. I just needed to grow into it a bit. So what the enemy would like for you and me is for us to not even pray, not even wrestle through this stuff, and then you and I forfeit the deep learnings and trust in the character of God because he's left unengaged. So one or two simple disappointments when we're in the middle of something and we forget that our Heavenly Father knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the omega, and every letter in between. So we pray from where we are, and he takes us where we need to go. Sometimes when we pray, by the way, the reason it doesn't get answered is because our prayers circumvent God's process. So we have a sense of what we want, and even if the end goal aligns with God, we're trying to ultimately circumvent the process by which he's going to work. So God is not only interested in the end result, he uses the process for his glory and for our good. So sometimes we pray for God to overturn these, prophes uh, these processes as he established in the running of the world. So for instance, do you remember the cartoons, uh, the Roadrunner? 
some of you that are old enough. These new cartoons, by the way, not near as good. Um, but Roadrunner would be running on the road. Couldn't tell if he's a he or she, I don't know. But Roadrunner would be running on the road. And they'd come to a turn in the road. And if you didn't make the turn, you're off the cliff, like straight down. And Roadrunner would not make the turn, and he'd just stand there. You know, meet, meet, kind of thing. That's what he would do. And he just like standing, completely defied the laws of gravity, right? So as a kid, you're like, that'd be so cool. And more than once, this is how stupid I can be, with no long-term effect, I hope. More than once, I thought, I wonder what would happen if I, I didn't go cliff, thank God. But it's like I'm on this tabletop and I just, can you do this? Here's what I found out. No, it doesn't work. Now, God put gravity in place, not me. God put gravity in place. And often, these processes that God has put in place that function independent because God did it, those things are the kinds of things we come up against when we find ourselves praying against them. And our prayers will circumvent, the, let me give you a couple of just practical examples, because this is a bit esoteric point, the practical examples might bring it home. So many things, including the way sickness works in the world, what begins a typhoon, how earthquakes are mechanically born, tornadoes and such, they operate in the world we operate in because the world is broken. Theologically, they happen because of sin. These are the mechanical things that God has put in place in the world. And generally speaking, he doesn't defy. He can, and he will. We'll talk about that in a second. But generally speaking, he doesn't defy the natural laws of the universe that he wrote. When earth plates move this way in such a degree, in such a way, you're the ground above may shake. When the winds and then all this stuff, you get a tornado. So when I pray that there be no more typhoons, it's a fair prayer. It's coming from a great place. I don't like to see the damage that happens. But the earth is broken and there are certain rules that happen in the earth and they occur. Theologically, again, because the world is broken. So can God intervene? Yes, and he does on occasion. He does. But by definition... These kinds of miracles, there are other kinds that happen all the time, but these kinds of miracles don't happen that often. There's a hurricane coming and we pray and it changes course and it sounds like an answer to prayer, except for the people that are now in the path of where it changed course to. That's just the truth. So when I taught high school and we would talk about prayer and we would hear some story, some kid would bring in a story about some person who prayed and the tornado jumped right over their house. That's awesome except it hit the next house and killed three people. And they would say to me, Mr. Hodges, it doesn't seem right. And I would agree with them, it's not right. But God typically allows the normal processes of things to be played out, and on occasion, he intervenes. I think about Jesus' ministry. Now, everywhere Jesus went, miracles occurred, it appeared, as long as you were in close vicinity to him. I mean, the other side of the world where people were just beginning civilization, or they were fully advanced into other civilizations. Jesus' miracles weren't reaching all the way around the world at that time while he was walking the earth. So even there, they were somewhat limited. I know this doesn't sound like cool, yay, yah, amen stuff, but 
This explains, for instance, why God typically doesn't move on the behalf of whoever's praying the hardest in a sporting event. So when there are two teams playing together, imagine this. Somebody's sitting on the couch, the quarterback on the screen, about to throw the ball, and he's praying, Oh, God, let it land. Send it with speed of the Spirit over everybody's head and direct it right into the receiver's receiver's hands. Meanwhile, in another state, somebody's watching the same game and they're praying, oh God, let the ball fall to the ground. So what happens? Does the ball land where it's supposed to land based on the holiness or the quality of the prayer of the person praying it against everybody else's prayers? No, maybe, but probably not. Typically, that ball is going to go exactly where it goes as a direct function of how it left the quarterback's hands. There are laws of physics that are going to work on that ball. The wind is going to blow. The receiver is going to be in the right place. That's largely how it's going to work. Now, I know I've shattered a lot of your theology right now. I understand. And most of your prayer life is going to disappear because you pray more during sporting events than any other time in life. It's okay. You're in the right place. But the truth is, is that God has put certain things in place and our world is broken. And none of your prayers or my prayers are going to alleviate all the pain of this world. Now, there's a day coming when they're going to be gone. We're going to talk about that. So it's right to pray about it, but it's not wrong to be offended when the normal order of this world, the mechanics of how things go that God put in place, ultimately bring pain and discord to the world. This is not that God's not answering your prayer. Let me give you one more. It's going to sound very spiritual. If I pray today for God to save everybody in Afghanistan, it sounds like I'm praying right in the will of God, right? And I am, I suppose. But the Bible actually tells me mechanically how people in Afghanistan are going to get saved. God's going to send somebody to preach the gospel. Now, all the time, I don't know, but according to the Bible, most of the time, there are probably a few exceptions. But when I pray for God to save everybody in Afghanistan, it's a good prayer. But the more complete prayer is, is God, you tell us in your word. The faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And how will they hear unless someone is sent? This is right from Paul's writings. So when I pray for God to save everybody in Afghanistan, he might, but he's probably going to do it in the exact way the word of God tells us he's going to do it. Somebody is going to feel stirred by the spirit of God to go share the gospel. And when the gospel is shared, the Holy Spirit is going to quicken some ears to receive that truth. That's the grace of God working to make people who can't respond, respond. They're going to respond in faith, which itself is a gift from God. And they're going to hear the truth of the gospel, be quickened in their spirit. They're going to bow their metaphoric knees before the Lord Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. How? Because God just went, boop, you're saved. No, he already told us how he's going to do it. Typically, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. How will they hear unless someone is sent? By the way, this affected how I began to pray for my children. I began to pray for my children, not just God make them godly men and women. God, would you surround them with people who are so in love with you that even if they're imperfect, they turn back to you consistently. Would you let my kids see bold and humble men and women who love you, who go to your word, who are people of prayer? Would you let them build relationships of influence with kids and adults? Now, this is going to sound so self-serving, but I'm telling you, this is so central to my parenting. 
One of the reasons why it is not an option in our church for our underage kids to come to church is because I know the impact of godly men and women on my kids. You know how I know it? Because you did it. You helped me raise my kids. Now, I continue to pray that God would make my sons godly men, my daughter a godly woman. But I know mechanically the Bible tells me how that works. It works in part by the move of the Spirit on them and how, God, uh, how, how they respond to the Lord. It works in part by what they watch in me and Jill, because we have direct influence. And it works in part by who they hang around. Not every day, I can't manage that, but with regularity. And who has access to speak to the thinking in their minds and the movements of their hearts. So we made decisions for our kids before they could. And when we stopped controlling everything and started giving them more freedom, we prayed down heaven the best we could. We didn't ask God to zap them. We asked him to bring people of value into their lives because the Bible tells us mechanically throughout the Proverbs and in other places that this is how it works in life with people, that the people you hang around with are going to influence you. A companion of fools, the Bible says, so if my kids hang around fools, that's the Bible word, not mine, they're going to suffer harm. That's what the Bible says. So I don't want my kids hanging around fools, right? So I pray, God, would you, would you just keep the fools away from my kids? And if they are around them mechanically in the same room, would you keep that influence at bay? Because what we want is for that my, my boy and boys and girls to be godly men and women. But mechanically, God's at work. And so if I just pray for God to zap my kids, I'm stepping away from all the stuff that God's already told me has impact on the very things I'm praying for. So it'd be very short-sighted and simplistic of me to ignore all the scriptures teaching and how people come to Jesus when I'm praying for people to come to Jesus. God saved my neighbor. That's a great prayer. Here, here's a better one. God saved my neighbor. And if you want to use me to do it, to share the word, to, to let my life be both light and salt in their life. God, would you use me? God, restore this relationship. Well, he will. But he's probably not going to zap it. You're probably going to have to do a little bit of the hard work of restoration. And so is it God answering or are you working? It's absolutely God answering. But he told us often how he's going to do it. And you can't ignore that stuff. It's in his word. It's one of the reasons why I want you to read it and know it. Number five. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered the way that we would like for them to be answered because, because we're not honoring the people around us. Every person you've ever met is made in the image of God. There's a particular passage I'm going to read to you that doesn't require a theologian to interpret. Right? Even though lots of ink have been spilt on these words. It's going to speak primarily to wives and to husbands. And I want you to pay attention to the power of I'm going to use the word honor as a catch-all term here. All right? So 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Here's what the Bible says. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, we're going to get to men in a minute, and it's much more stark. All right? So the Bible says here, Peter says here, and then for the Holy Spirit, that sometimes your words won't do it, but in fact, the way you engage your husband, we could use the word honor here because the word submit is used, it may have something powerful, it may have a powerful impact on his spiritual walk. So here's how mechanically it works. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold or fine 
clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, not men in general, their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters, if you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. So there's something about the way we treat. So ladies, if you're praying for your husband to walk as a godly man, to rise up, the Bible actually says there might be some engagements you can do differently that will impact him. So keep praying and then ask God what you're supposed to do as a part of the answer to the prayer. And husbands, much more stark here. In a much more few words, or much less words, here's how Peter says husbands can be impacted by this principle. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. Here's our next line. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, the Bible says that your prayers may not be answered based on how you treat your spouse. Now, you don't need a theologian to parse this for you. This is black and white scripture. Every believer, the way you treat your spouse is going to impact your prayers. It's going to impact them and everything about you. Now, I could spend a lot more time here. There's no need. All you have to do here is ask God, if you're married, am I honoring my spouse? Am I valuing them and letting them have the role that you've put them in? If not, I pray that you would reach out to their heart and soften them, but at the same time, God, Would you work on me? Would you make me to be the kind of person that your word describes I'm supposed to be? If you're a husband, you're considerate and respectful and engaging your wife as an heir with you. She has equal legal status. And if you're a wife, you honor and respect, not just with words, but by your behavior. And you're working on the inner self, not just your external beauty, but you're very interested in how that stuff that's on the inside is manifesting on the outside. With black and white language, Peter says that men's prayers particularly, and I think by comparison in the passage, women as well, the way you do honor here impacts how your spouse acts. So keep praying for your spouse. They probably need to change. But I bet you, as you pray for them, if you listen, I bet you there's some growth for you too. Just a thought. Just a thought. By the way, many times I've prayed with parents of uh, teenagers. And I've asked when my kids were teens, and many people to pray with me because it's just a rough season. They're going through stuff and hormones and it's so hard. But can I tell you something about me? And I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this, except that it's in the past and it's under the blood. Now it's a testimony, which means I can tell it with freedom, right? So many times I pray for my kids and I pray for my kids and I get people to pray for my kids and I wouldn't see the change that I thought should be coming. But over time, as I'd pray, and sometimes as I would talk to others, you know what I discovered? That sometimes in the dynamics that I'm praying for, part of the dynamic was me. So here I am praying for them, praying for them, praying for them, praying for them, and I should. But I was so simplistic. God, fix them. Touch that attitude. Change that behavior. Sometimes I'd go Old Testament. Rain rocks down on them. And then I was like, eh, that's not the right way I should be praying. I shouldn't pray that way. It's exaggerating just a little bit. But often in my prayers, here's what I discovered. Yeah, God wants to do that. But what he really wants to also is he wants to work on me too. He wants to, and I, that's just for me. I've seen this over and over again. Sometimes the dynamic in a family isn't just the person who's praying about it. Sometimes, or isn't the person you're praying about. Sometimes it's the person who's praying about it. 
Does that make sense? So, honor is a big deal, and how we treat people has a direct impact on our prayers. Finally, some prayers aren't going to be answered till the end. So sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because he's delaying his answer until his return. I love this passage in Revelation. Let the words kind of wash over your ear. Here's what the Bible says. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Who had, he who, ha, who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The book of Revelation opens early in chapter 3 with the image of bowls or vials. I shared this with you last week. And the Bible tells us that in those bowls are the prayers of the saints gathered so that not one prayer fell to the ground. God gathered them. And at the time, he's going to start making all things new, righting every justice, fixing every wrong, healing every hurt. Those prayers are going to be answered in spades once God brings all things to conclusion. And while this may not help you in the middle of the pain you're going through or the discomfort or in the opportunity you're praying for, you can have confidence in this, that God knows the end from the beginning. And everything that has moved your heart, and everything that has touched you, he's heard you, and he ultimately is going to fix everything wrong. There's no injustice that you watch on the news that he's not going to fix ultimately. There's no body that has been broken of one of his children that isn't going to be completely restored and made whole in the end. There's no broken relationship between God's children that is not going to be reconciled in completeness once and for all in the end. Sometimes the very things you're praying for won't be answered here and now, but they will be completely and finally answered there. And this is the hope that we have. It goes back to the fundamental question. Do you believe deep down in the core of your being that God is good? That should he delay an answer for you? Should he go a different way than you think he should go? Is he still working all things for your good? Now, if you believe that, you can pray with boldness for whatever you want. And then you can give it to him and say, now God, do what you want. You can pray with absolute boldness for God to heal and do the thing. And then you step back and you say, now God, it's yours. Do what you want. And whatever you do will be good and right and good for me and good for everybody else because you only have a good and perfect plan for this world, which means you only have a good and perfect plan for me. So I'm going to boldly talk to you because we're in a relationship. But if you tell me I don't get ice cream before dinner, I'm not mad at you. Now, I may be because I'm immature and young, but I'm going to grow to the point where one day I won't be mad at you. I'll understand it. So at the end of the day, it comes down to this. Why aren't you praying and talking to your heavenly father? And if you are already, please don't stop. Your prayers, not one of them has ever fallen to the ground. Not one of them has landed on deaf ears. Your heavenly father hears it all. And he's going to do only good things with it. Keep praying. Why don't you grab out your connect card right now? 
And let's take a few steps. As you're preparing to do that, I want to tell you one more time that your position to your heavenly father is the most important decision you can make in this earth. You can be his child. The way that happens mechanically is you say, God, I can't come to you, so I receive Jesus who stood between me and you. His death and his resurrection, I receive that work he accomplished on my behalf. I accept what he did because I can't. And I trust that the work he did for me is sufficient to allow me to cross over to you and be your child. That's getting saved. That's becoming a child of God. Or next step A, our language, is to, that means today you're making a decision to become a, a, a follower of Jesus. That is, he's your savior and your Lord. If you want to do that, take the pen and check next step A. In a minute, I'm going to pray with you and give you a chance to trust the Lord with your prayers and say, God, I accept what Jesus did on my behalf. I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I turn away and I turn towards you. You'll put that card in the offering bucket when it comes by in a moment. We'll pray and we'll do some serious business with God. Our next step B maybe is your choice today. Today I'm uh, wanting to be baptized. Our next baptism is just in a couple weeks. We would celebrate with you the work that Jesus has done on your behalf. If you haven't been baptized as an adult and you're a follower of Jesus, you check the box. One of our team members will follow up with you and that's how you begin the process. And they'll answer any questions you have, talk about the mechanics of how we do it. And on that Sunday as a church, we'll celebrate with you. The next step C is the one we started this series with. I want to challenge you with it one more time. It says, I'll spend three to five minutes a day in prayer at a certain time, in a certain place, with a certain plan. You'll make an appointment with God. 366 days this year, I've asked you to do it 300 times. So, you know, you miss a few here and there. And I'm telling you, if you'll pray and talk to God in some of the ways we've talked about over the last four weeks, it will make a profound difference in your life. Try it. Try it. Don't be one of those Christians that never really tried prayer and then you find yourself struggling with whether or not Jesus is even real in your life. Talk to him. See what happens. Next step, D says, hey, please sign me up for a small group. This is what Pastor Joshua's talking to you about. We have groups for women and men. Men, come on. Come on, you feeling the tug to lead? Get in a group surrounded by other men who are talking about the work of God. Or go to Freedom, F-O-1. And get in there with your spouse and do the thing. If you're single, press all the way into God and see what he might do with your life. What group can you be around that will encourage you in the direction God's calling you to go? It's good for students. It's good for adults. And the next step B says, hey, please send me a link to RSVP for the grow classes. There are four grow classes, numbered one, two, three, four, and they align with the week of the month. So on the first week of the month, we do grow one. Grow one is all about a relationship with Jesus and what our church is about. Grow 2 is about growing in things like prayer and scripture and why we do those things. And Grow 3 is all about discovering your spiritual gifts. And then Grow 4 is how God wants to leverage, helping you discover how God might want to leverage your life to make an impact. So you can take any of those Grow, uh, grow classes or, 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 or um, only one. If you've taken some and not others, just check the box. We'll send you links to all of them with the information. And then you can just follow through on those links and complete these steps. If you call this church home, I want to give you now an opportunity to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with. We're going to both collect our tithe and our offering, and we're going to put our connect cards in these buckets. That's how we'll follow up. Let me tell you something cool that happened to me this morning. So this morning, I walked into our building. Now, if you're a guest, you may not know this, but most of our people who are volunteers park in the back of the building. There's a volunteer door. They go in that way. They check in. It's all cool. 
if you don't volunteer, you should, because there's always a little bit of breakfast items there. So if you're running late, you can have a little bite to eat. It's awesome. Volunteers make it happen here. There's also another door in the back that I come in. It's literally right behind this stage. So I walked in the door, and to my left, there was a trailer. And on the trailer, there's some bright red metal. Uh, this is, it will be when it's constructed this week, the lift that we're going to use to service vehicles of people in our church and ultimately our community who need a hand up financially. People on a tight fixed budget, single moms particularly. People who just need a little bit of help. Maybe their car's struggling and they get a little consult and if it's minor stuff, we'll work on it. So by the end of the month, that will be installed. By the end of February, we'll have the mechanics. And sometime early in March, I'll come to this congregation. I'll say, all right, we're ready to roll. Now, let me tell you what moved me as I walked in. It wasn't because it was cool metal and I liked that kind of stuff. As I walked by it, my heart was softened because I thought, let me tell you what our church did. Sight unseen with just a hope, you invested mechanically money so that over this year we could serve people in need. And now just a few weeks in, because you guys have been faithful, it's already rolling. How cool is that? So in a couple weeks, if you walk into this back warehouse, you're going to see it. And a few weeks after that, all the documents and all the legal mumbo jumbo and all the stuff you got to do, just be good stewards, all the, the scale of the ministry that we're going to, it's going to be there. And then by the time we get to the end of the March, I'm going to give all of you an opportunity to invite people in your sphere of influence who need to have a service like this in their life, take advantage of it. And you know how it happened? You were generous. You followed the prompting of God. So we're like $2,000 away from $90,000 to the Christmas offering. So I remember I set a goal of 80 to, the, to you. To our members, I said 90. And I said, that's just me. I don't have faith. I don't think we'll hit 90. I bet we do. I bet we do. Because you're generous. So just thank you. You're going to do incredible ministry and you have a part of it. We're at about 60% participation. So there's plenty of room. If you haven't been a part, give a dollar today. Write at Christmas. Write Christmas. So that when we tell these stories and we roll it out, you at least have a part of it. I want you to get the joy of your investment and the payoff. Thank you for what you're doing. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you so much that you sent Jesus to span the gap between us and you. Thank you that because of the work of Jesus, we can be your children. Thank you that you hear the prayers of your children. And I pray, Father, that we would become people of prayer. Those that are praying, they'd be encouraged that their prayers are making a difference those that aren't praying rightly, that they would step up and they would talk to their heavenly father. I lift up the men and women right now that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I can't save myself. I turn away from my sin. I trust Jesus and I trust him alone. And father, would you take the generosity of this church and cause it to soften hearts, bring glory to your name, make a positive difference in people's lives. And Lord, would you take our next steps and cause us to grow deeper in you. Plant us, as it were, like trees by streams of living water. Strong roots, beautiful, beautiful plant, incredible fruit. Because we're rooted and grounded in you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.